The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. I'm Maura Ahrens-Mealy, and this is The Anxious Achiever. We look at stories from business leaders who have dealt with anxiety, depression, or other mental health challenges, how they fell down, how they picked themselves up, and how they hope workplaces can change in the future. Even as we're in the midst of a possible transition back to the office in the U.S., it's no question that remote work and work that breaks a, any traditional mold of an office-based nine-to-five is here to stay. In many ways, the pandemic just accelerated what was already happening. I've been thinking a lot lately about how we consume media in our working lives and the people behind the screens. Later on, we'll hear from Jackson Jayanayagam, a general manager and VP at Clorox, who's been thinking a lot about how to help employees manage their mental health at a time like this. But first, I was so excited to talk with someone who I actually learned about through my kids. One of my sons, both my sons love to watch streaming gamers, suggested that I do an episode of the show with an influencer, a professional streamer. I'm thrilled to talk with Jessica, better known as She Snaps. She's a gamer, a professional gamer who's gained a huge following on Twitch, YouTube, Instagram, and more. And she uses her platform to talk about a lot more than gaming, including mental health. She has a fantastic, uh, very quick acronym that I think is super helpful. It's called SHADES. When it comes to some kind of basics in terms of checking in with yourself and seeing if you're burning out because you're maybe not taking great care of yourself, my community has an acronym for that, which is just SHADES. Sleep, hydration, air, diet, exercise, and stillness. It was great to sit down with She Snaps to talk about her work, her passionate community, and her mission for better mental health among her followers. For, for those people listening who may not understand necessarily what a streamer is or how a streamer makes a living, could you tell us a little bit about your day job? Sure. It's, uh, it's, it is very fun to try to introduce like what I do to people when I'm out in the world at parties <laughs> or meeting people in the world. And they ask, they ask what I do. I've, I've started just telling people I'm an online broadcaster and I just wait, like, I'm not going to go any further if you don't ask questions. So some people just, Oh, you know, like kind of nod and I move on. <laughs> and some people ask the questions and I'm like, Oh boy. Okay. Let's hope you've got at least some basic tech knowledge so this isn't super awkward for me to try to explain this. <laughs> um, so most people are familiar with YouTube, at least, like people who do um, various like live streams on YouTube. Twitch is another really popular platform. Essentially, how I got my start was in gaming online. So my gaming feed would be shown to everyone you would you would get to see whatever game I was playing. And then my my video feed, like me on camera, would be in like a small box in the corner. So I'm talking to people in a live chat that can see everything I'm doing within like usually a couple seconds delay. And I'm playing the game and commenting on the game. So there's this really fun community engagement where they can talk to each other. 
And then there's the one-on-one where I can look at their messages and respond to them and answer questions about the game or whatever. It's, you know, what's amazing to me is, I mean, I I got my start in the 90s working on message board communities, and I've been working in some form of internet community since 1999. So I am am truly like an old person in this industry. But (laughs) when I when I watch my boys engage with Twitch, um, or or YouTube streaming, it is, it's, it's like they know you, um, or whichever whichever of the streamers they're following, they talk about you at dinner. Like we're part of the extended family, and it is such an intimate medium, right? It's it's yeah, kind of unbelievable to me the intimacy and the fact that you know my kids are, are kind of living with you like day in and day out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you know, that's that's part of what's really cool about the way the platform has evolved. Because initially, I was a little bit more um, reserved about what I would talk about from my personal life and things like that. So we would just kind of BS together and play the game and talk about gaming related things and, and whatever else. Mm. So now like a lot of my streams, I just if there's no gameplay, I just play some chill music and I just sit with the camera on me and I respond to people and talk about whatever it is that's going on. And I'm, I'm a pretty open book now. So it's so, it's so interesting to have that sense of community, that sense of togetherness, even with people who don't speak up very much. Like I'll have people who are long-term lurkers, (laughs) meaning like they don't really speak up, but they tune in and listen or watch most streams come up to me at events. And they're kind of like recounting my days to me like, oh, so this thing that you did on this day, that was really awesome because and I'm just like, God, I I forget sometimes that so many people who I don't know and so many people I do know are so like involved in my day to day life, like they know everything that's going on. Truly. And and the other thing, and, and I want to talk about how you think about your community, because I was watching one of your streams when you talked very openly about your mental health and um your sort of over medication with antidepressants mm. and anti-anxiety meds as a teenager and chat just exploded with people talking, some of whom I think were still teenagers, some of who were grown-ups reflecting, sharing their experiences being medicated as young people. And it was, I mean, it was kind of both heartbreaking and I imagine very cathartic. Like what kind of stewardship do you feel over this community? Because it, it gets really real. Yeah, it really does. And oh man, it's it's a really intense thing. Like I there's I'm fortunate to know a lot of mental health experts and professionals, you know, therapists and doctors and, and psychiatrists and, and whatnot, who anytime I'm like, Am I walking a line that's too far? Mm. I reach out to them and I talk to them, like, do you think that this is okay for me to have these types of discussions? And what I've essentially been told, another another friend told me, you do a great job of staying in your lane. So I'm like, okay, cool. I'm just talking about my own experiences, the stuff that helped me. So I do, I feel like a very deep sense of responsibility towards the community. I try to watch what I say very carefully and monitor the conversations going on in the chat. Mm. So, you know, it's not just the things that are coming out of my mouth, but it's the things that people are being allowed to say in my chat that I have to keep a close eye on. And I'm very fortunate to have such wonderful moderators like they they know what I'm about and they know that we have some kind of general rules as far as how we'll let people communicate in our channel. 
um, including that we don't meet negativity with negativity. Like people come in and try to troll and we do what we can to meet them with compassion and kindness or silence and just give them the boot. Mm. We don't allow any kind of passive aggressive commentary. If people kind of walk that line, we'll call it out like, hey, if we're going to talk about serious things, whether it's politics, religion, mental health, whatever, we have to do it kindly or else I'm shutting this conversation down and we'll just go on to talking about fart jokes. <laughs> like we'll be over this real fast. I mean, I'm curious, what did gaming offer you initially as someone? What, what, what are your diagnoses, if you don't mind sharing? It's so interesting because I, I haven't been, I went back to therapy very recently, but unfortunately the therapist uh, didn't, didn't feel equipped to work with me. So I haven't been able to get any kind of like recent, like, hey, do I still have this kind of conversation? <laughs> uh, so when I was younger, it was severe depression, panic disorder, anxiety. I had really bad insomnia from like 10 years old up until just like a few years ago. Hmm. Um, and I, I used to deal a lot with like social anxiety. Going out in the world would stress me out a great deal. So it felt, it felt like a little bit of everything. I was really sad and really nervous most of the time. Hmm. What did gaming offer you? Like, what, what, what about it compelled you? Oh, you know, it's, it's kind of a complicated thing because I've been gaming in various ways since I was a kid, like since we got our first NES. So like the actual gaming itself has always been a really nice escape, a really nice, you know, pastime. I came to Twitch because of this game called Destiny that I had gotten really, really involved in. I really loved it. Like I would I would end my job or jobs because I was working multiple ones at the time and I would come home and right away I would just go straight to Destiny. It was like the first thing I thought about in the morning. It was a whole weekend was gone to it. Huh. Um, and part of the reason for that is because I was really unhappy. Mm-hmm. I was in a really bad relationship at the time. It was really controlling, like really emotionally abusive. I was starting to spend so much of my time gaming because it was something away from all of that. Like if we were gaming together for the most part, as long as I didn't do anything that like upset him in some way, like things were sort of even, we were good. Wow. So when I went on Twitch, that was such an eye-opening experience for me because I was really struggling with my mental health. And anytime that I would bring it up, the response would be, oh, poor me. My life is so hard. Oh, poor me. And then he would he would say stuff like, you're not in a wheelchair. You don't have this going on. What is so bad about your life that you just have to go and talk to someone? And I would, it would essentially turn into this weird drawn out thing of like, it was all just a ploy for me to go out and cheat on him. Oh my God. Yeah. So like I wasn't allowed to have passwords on any of my devices. I couldn't have a journal anymore because he went through it, read the whole thing, used it against me, ripped it up. Like I had no sense of privacy. I really didn't have anything that felt like my own. Mm -hmm. And then I started on Twitch. And even though I wasn't allowed to talk about the fact that I was in a relationship and I wasn't allowed to talk about a lot of like personal things, people can see you like they really start to see you and like see through you in a sense. And I, I, I will never forget the way that that first year of streaming like completely transformed my life. And I, I remember one day very specifically, we were passing each other in the hallway and I was already having a rough day. I was just, you know, depression <laughs> sucks so I was I was just in a bad state of mind and he just walked past me and it was like walking past a coworker in an office 
there was just this very limited acknowledgement of existence happening and then we kept walking so I was like okay that's fine you don't see that I'm having a hard day whatever I'm gonna go start stream and I started stream I'm doing my best to pretend everything's cool and I start getting these messages these private messages which on Twitch are called whispers from people saying like hey I just you you seem a little off today I just want to let you know if you need something I'm here for you Or someone sending like a really kind message, just, I want you to know you're a beautiful person and I I hope you're doing all right. And I'm just looking at this like, what? How do you see that? How do you see me? So it was kind of, it it really blew me away. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise. A promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. A promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Every Day Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. You can build internal resources. That's what the study of psychology is about, building internal resources. Turning towards is one of the most important elements of successful relationships, no matter what kind of relationship it is. The thing that underpins all of this productivity stuff is finding a way to make the journey itself enjoyable. The journey is the destination. The beauty of uncertainty is infinite possibility. When you don't know what's next, you don't know what's next. And thus, anything can be next. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the LinkedIn Podcast Network, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You know, we've been through a period now where the pandemic has brought out online life so starkly, you know, the realities of our lives. Like, what do you say to people who say, well, video games are making us anxious. It's being constantly online that is exacerbating mental illness and anxiety, especially for young people. Do you, do you have a, a, a single answer to that or is it complicated? It is complicated. I, what I started to realize after... So so like I left that relationship, I somehow kind of stumbled into this, this mindfulness mental health game where before it was like, I would talk about my mental health only to say like, yeah, I'm suffering too, <laughs> this sucks. Mm-hmm. And then as I started to find ways to help myself, I started to feel better in a way that I never thought was possible. You found ways I on would- the internet. Yeah, I started I started Googling stuff like it was just one day I was just like, I am sick and tired of being sick and tired and angry. And I just started Googling and my my boyfriend who um, we're still together, he's wonderful. And we're expecting our first baby together. Um, He introduced me to meditation. Mm -hmm. And that was like, I always tell people that was like my gateway drug into mindfulness. Like Mm -hmm. it just I was so immediately blown away by how much that helped. And, and how much it showed me about what I was carrying and what I wasn't addressing. So I, I started feeling a lot better. Things started changing. And over the last few years, because it's really only been a few years that I personally would say, like, I don't, I don't believe that I struggle with panic disorder, depression, 
anything outside of like the stuff that comes up from life, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that I started evaluating my gaming and pretty much everything else by a, a couple of quick questions. Like, am I looking to do this to escape my life or am I looking to do this to enhance my life? So when it comes to gaming, if I go to my video games because I am agitated and frustrated or I'm just feeling like crap and I sit down and just, you know, lock into a game, I don't think that helps anything. I think in situations like that, it makes more sense for me to deal with whatever it is that's on my mind, you know, stretch it out, do some meditations, create a new narrative, you know, talk to someone, journal, whatever, and then go play video games when it becomes an enhancement to my life instead of an escape. Gosh, that's so interesting because, you know, when I think of of reactions to gaming, I think of um, Frank Underwood in uh, House of Cards, right, where he was this very angry kind of evil political character and his escape was to play really violent video games, right, and like take mm-hmm. out his like murderous urges on the video game. And I think a lot of people who aren't gamers – think of video games as a a channel for anger as a channel for escape for fantasy um as a as as a reaction to big feelings almost as Mm. if you'd take a drink or you'd like try to escape from the real world i don't think i think there's a many of us who don't game might not think of it as an enhancement yeah and and like the studies out there because there's so many people who are still like violent video games are what's wrong in the world. This is what's Mm -hmm. causing X, Y, and Z. And there are so many studies out there that say the exact opposite. And like gaming, especially in some of these multiplayer games, has been shown to help increase communication and teamwork. Like there's, there's so many great things that you can get out of these games, especially now that so many of them can be played with other people online. I don't actually find that I meet very many people who are like, I gotta go take out my anger in this game it's usually like they're they're kind of struggling already and then they go play the game because they don't want to think about the fact they're struggling there's not this like i'm going to use this for this right i'm going to shoot people in in an imaginary sense although i mean for me as an introvert and someone with social anxiety my online life has always been a way that i can be very present and sometimes like Mm -hmm. kind of performative without always a lot of the anxiety that I feel when I'm with people in person. Does that, do you feel like that's true for you too? Cause, cause you're like right there on screen with people. Yeah. You know, it's so I, I haven't really dealt with social anxiety the way that I did when I first started on stream. Um, but yeah, it, it's a very interesting thing to feel mostly comfortable being live and having a camera on you and, like it's a very controlled situation. If someone says something mm. you don't like, you can ban them from your chat. If you look at yourself <laughs> and you're you're like, you know what, I look weird today, you can shut down stream, which like when I was really dealing with a lot of intense self-loathing, there were days where I would see myself on stream and be like, oh, I can't look at that anymore. I got to go. And I would just shut things down out in the world. Like you can't you don't ban have people. that same. Yeah, you don't have that same <laughs> awareness of yourself. So sometimes it's like your your vision in your head of like, oh, my God, I'm talking too much. Oh, my gosh, I look really stupid right now, don't I? Oh, what am I standing weird? Is everyone else standing like me? Like you, you can judge yourself because you can't see it as well. Yeah. So initially, I felt more comfortable online than I did in person. Over the years, it's something that I've I've managed to work past. And I think 
while it is way easier <laughs> to, you know, not have to put on an outfit from like the waist down, basically, and just <laughs> sit, sit in front of a camera and goof off. It's, uh, it's, it's not as hard for me to connect to people out in the world now because of the connections I've formed online. Because now you're really an entrepreneur. I mean, right? You have this business, you have a media business. How has your personal feeling towards the people who keep you going change? Like, both as, as an entrepreneur and as someone who's a community owner, I suppose. Oh, man. I mean, that that all changed after mindfulness, really. Like really? after after I learned to start <laughs> liking myself, then suddenly it was a lot easier to like other people. Because, you know, I, I've heard that that saying something about like the things we don't like in other people are the things that we don't like about ourselves. Yes. The things that we love in other people are the things we love about ourselves. I had a hard time loving other people because I really hated myself so very deeply. So when I got to a point of some some radical self-acceptance, when I started to actually look at myself and say like, "Man, you you kind of had a rough go of it. You were just doing the best you could. Like this is all okay. You don't have to hate yourself for this." I I cannot tell you anyone who I hate now. There are people who frustrate me, of course, but like that goes into my daily compassion work where the people who upset me the most are the people who I need to spend the most time thinking of. Mm. So it's a very different thing now where I'm up on on a stage because I do speak still like, well, you know, before the pandemic, Mm, I do speak in person and I've got my streams and everything. So instead of me being up there and saying, I don't really care what you think, it's I, I really do care. I care what they think. I care what they're feeling. I want them to feel cared about. I want them to not have to feel the way that I felt for almost my entire life. Because I was 30, 32 before I had like my first moment of, oh man, maybe you, maybe you don't suck. Maybe life actually doesn't have to be so doom and gloom. Maybe things can be okay. Mm. I didn't think happiness was real. And I I used to really hate people. And like, (laughs) if I tell people all the time, if I had stumbled upon my own stream years ago, I would have been like, Oh, my God, she's so fake. I hate her. Because I thought everyone who was happy or, or seemed happy was just better at lying than the rest of us. And I hated them for it. Like, why are you why are you feeding into this lie making other people feel bad? Just let them know everything sucks. But people would say to you, you're I've seen in your comments, but you seem so happy. And, and and when you would talk about your struggles with mental health and you would talk about your depression and they'd be like, well, but you seem so happy. And and, and I always, I, I want you to talk about that because the thing that I think a lot of people don't understand about those of us who walk with, with deep sadness and depression or clinical anxiety is that we get really good at mm-hmm. seeming happy, especially at work or seeming in charge or seeming, you know, like, yeah. like we can stand up on stage and impress a thousand people and, mm-hmm. and, and you don't see the darkness inside. That's on purpose. Yeah, that's that's actually what inspired me to start talking about my mental health when I was still struggling with it, um, mm-hmm. because it's it's really interesting how quickly people start to idolize people online even when I was still very new in streaming and I, I didn't have a, a very large audience or anything, I would start getting these private messages from people saying, like, you seem so happy. How do you do it? And I'm like, oh, man, now I'm that guy. I'm the one making you feel like <laughs> like stuff is OK when it sucks. So I started speaking up and I started I did my first mental health stream, you know, probably I think like a year in where I just came clean sort of and was like, listen, 
I wake up every day angry. I'm miserable. I hate myself. Um, really struggling. Like I feel you. And there were there were a lot of things I didn't talk about, like the fact that my older sister had passed away. Mm. I didn't I didn't talk about the losses I had suffered in my life because my one of my bigger fears was that someone would come in and they would use her name against me. Because mm. people who are out to hurt people will use whatever is accessible to them. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't talk about her. And then after I started kind of opening up a little bit more about the way that I was suffering, I started talking more about, and I lost my sister and she was my best friend. And this has been just terrible <laughs> since. So that was that was what kind of inspired me to start speaking up on it more. Now, I would say for the most part, I, I think it's okay to label myself as a happy person because I don't think of happiness the way I did before. I think it is a conscious choice. It is daily effort, daily, daily effort to pay attention to what's going on in my mind, what's going on in my body, what I'm consuming, whether it's through my actual diet or what I'm consuming online, the type of music I'm listening to, everything. And it doesn't mean I don't still struggle. Like I just lost my my brother and my niece on the same day three months ago. I lost my dad just a couple of years ago. Like grief is something that is an ever present part of my life. So it's been tough, but I would still comfortably say I'm happy because there are some moments where I look around at my life and I'm able to be present in a way I never was before. And it brings me to tears. Like I'm just so happy to know there's another way. While we're talking about working in an online world, our world's being shared through tiny computer screens for hours a day, I wanted to share a conversation that I had with Jackson Jayanayagam. He's a VP at Clorox, giant company, and I follow him on LinkedIn. He posted something a while back that really had me thinking. He said the single best thing he's done to maintain his sanity during the pandemic has been to limit the video calls he has on his calendar and not do them for every single meeting. And wow, that resonated with me. So I started by asking him about why he posted that comment and the reaction that he got. It was interesting because I, you know, I posted it and I'll tell you about the background there. And I got some comments actually from brands. A couple people said, did you pay? Did you sponsor that <laughs> boost? I'm like, no, I just, I, I just posted what I thought. And you know, I usually get, I get decent engagement, especially when I have a job opening. But this one, you're right. It was so fascinating. See all the comments from all, all over the world, right? People in different roles, senior, junior, all industries, even debating, right? The merit of it and, and even counterpoints to what I said. Um, and then what was really cool was I must have gotten at least 30 DMs uh, on LinkedIn, direct messages from people saying, I'm glad you you said that. I've been struggling with this. I've been trying to figure out how to talk to my my team or my boss about this. Uh, or your team's very lucky that you think that way. You don't put that pressure on them. And that one really hit me hard. I'm like, man, uh, it's sad that someone would have to think that my team is lucky just because I don't expect them to be on video all the time. Like That's just really sad that someone feels like they have to be, whether it's true or not, right? It doesn't matter. It's I, I felt, think it's so. true. I think it's true. Yeah. And that's sad to me. Um, so the background, was, it wasn't even like nothing crazy happened, right? It's been, it's been a year, right? Exactly a year, mm-hmm. I think, since we've gone into that, that moment, the, the White House press briefing and everyone you know, freaked out and, and so forth. So I would say it was building up. I found it funny that all of a sudden, March 3rd, or whenever everyone essentially went into work from home, 
all of a sudden the phones weren't good enough and we had to see each other, even though I might've just seen you two days ago. And we got into this, uh, and I think this is a common societal thing. I don't think it's just an American thing. I think it's a very knee-jerk reaction to overcome, but saying, you know how it is, 80-20 rule, right? Once once a few people go there, everyone jumps on it. And it was like, oh, video all the time. This this is it. Like, we're, we're fine. We don't need to be in the office. This is how we're going to cope. And, can I ask you, ask you a question? Yeah. I mean, was there any corporate memo that went out? Because I was actually thinking about this. Who said, yeah. where is no, it written, as my grandfather would say, that all of a sudden everything had to be video? It, it, it yeah, almost felt like there was an unwritten edict from the White House 100%. or CDC. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah, the CDC. Yeah. Dr. Fauci was yeah. like, and by the way, <laughs> you can reduce uh, coronavirus contraction if you're on video. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. In fact, I was on a call the other day with someone very senior, and they're like, oh, you're not on video. They didn't see my post. Um, that is that is that okay? Is that very un-Clorox like of you? And I'm like, I don't think it's a Clorox thing. I think that exactly is right more. And I started thinking, like, no one has said ever that I'm aware of any major company you have to be on video no. ever. But we say it, and people in certain levels, right, at a certain uh, at a certain you know hierarchy, right? And as you go, every company is like this with comments, with you know, not being more proactive and saying it's okay if you're not on video or not sending a dial in, right? Or not not being on video themselves. So I think. And, and God forbid you get the passive aggressive comments, which I'll talk about in a second. And I think in that, in those actions and, and non-actions, right, to be quite honest, that's what built up into his expectation. You're 100% right, more. No one ever said we have to be on video, but somehow that became the thing, March 2nd or March 3rd, whenever we actually officially went into quarantine. And, and then we had that knee-jerk reaction that everyone was on video. And all of a sudden, first off, we all went through this, right? Your meetings somehow went from three to nine a day because you weren't seeing people. And every single one of them had a Zoom link. And it was just like overwhelming. And the first few weeks, it was cute. It was funny. You notice how people don't laugh and smile as much when kids come into the room anymore, when there's a funny thing that happens now. It's just like, whatever. But in those first couple of months, it was all about the personality and your, your background and comments in your apartment for 10 minutes and your kids. And, and that was the thing, right? It was, was like fun. we were getting that's... to know each other in a whole new way. That's right. Although that's right. I, I personally, and I think a lot of people found it really invasive, but you couldn't say that, right? But, you couldn't say it. Right. I mean, you would definitely be the, the outcast. So for me, I felt that way too. And even before, like, you know, you, you did video, right? I mean, how many times a week did you do video before? I did it maybe five to eight times a week. Maybe one a day, right? Maybe two. And 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 usually that was like eight of you in a conference room and four people remote, right? right? Like, right. you know what I mean? And and sometimes you're not on, like you're, you're on video, but you're in a conference room. So that's not the same, right? There's not that. Well, you're not in your self, bedroom. That's right. And that you're not looking at yourself. Honestly, a lot of this is also self-perpetrated, right? Like you're looking at yourself, you're feeling that, that, that anxiety, that anxiousness. So there's a lot going on there from a psychology standpoint. So yeah, we are immediately thrown into this moment of like all video all the time. No one's given a chance to even consider a phone call, which is so crazy. I literally stopped getting phone calls from people. Mm-hmm. It was like, even one-on-ones went from, I literally had a one-on-one with you via phone last week. Now they're all video. Like, I, I don't understand what's changed <laughs> the last week. <laughs> Nothing's changed. Right. So this built up in me uh, more. And, and I actually, from the get-go, I just didn't turn video on. I, I just refused to do it. And oh my God, more, you would be uh, like the comments I got, the jokes, it was always something. And, and it was really interesting what I went through. It was almost like being a teenager again. The first one was like denial and excuses, right? I wasn't owning it. I was like, well, I've been with issues, which sometimes was actually the case. Um, or I was multitasking, also the case, right? I was walking around, which by the way is a good thing. It's healthy. I was walking around the, 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 uh, my apartment, uh, whatever it was. Or just sometimes, you know, my hair, I have long hair and, and I haven't showered and no one's going to take me seriously. Like uh, you're literally, I, I think you'd have a hard time concentrating if you saw me sometimes. So, I, I, but to have to explain all this is absurd. And then all of a sudden, 
five, six months into it, eight months into it, I was a guy who was never on video. And half the time, people wouldn't say anything. It was just expected. But if it was anyone new or someone who loved to make the joke, right, there's always a class clown or someone to make the comment, then that would come up and it'd be a two-minute dialogue. Um, and then when I was on video, oh, my God, like that was like a, you know, a four-minute thing. Or like, oh, Jackson's on video. And I'd go with it. It wasn't a big deal. Uh, so, but it was building up and it got to a point, I guess somewhere in the spring or I get no, sorry, the winter when I post that, I, I just, I think someone made one comment. I'm like, you know what? Like, I can't be the only one feeling this. I'm just going to say something. I think it's really interesting that, and also like an interesting comment on where we are in terms of work culture, that it for you, it sounds like it wasn't even being on video all the time. It was that people were giving you so much crap and it was, yeah. you know, that sludging, that passive aggressive sludging that we all know so well that built up. And and of course, it's my yeah. belief that people, people do that because they're anxious. It's making them Maybe. uncomfortable because they're like, I don't really want to be on video. Why isn't he <laughs> on video? Like, why is yeah. he so special? What's going on? You know, it gets them all worked up. That's a great point. To me, it was a freedom of choice. Like, and, and even though I was making that choice, I didn't feel like I truly was empowered because of those comments. Now, because of my post, and some people haven't read it, I feel truly it's like, I feel free. I'm like, I made the post. Everyone knows where I stand on this. So there's no need to make a big issue of it. I'll joke around if you want about like the broader context of it, but don't make, put me on the spot and, and put me in this place where I've defended. So now I feel like I have this uh, freedom of choice. And I don't know, is there anything more important in this world than your freedom of choice? I mean, that's one of the best things about America is we all have this freedom. And I think that was robbed for me, to be well, honest. Um, and now it is. Autonomy, losing autonomy is a huge factor in burnout, right? And so when, when people don't feel that they have autonomy in their work, and certainly autonomy over their personal space and time, they yeah. really start to feel burnt out. And and so, yeah. so where is this going? I mean, I just want to just hmm. shift for a minute. Like, thinking about the next six months, what are you doing in terms of your team and thinking about the other barriers maybe to their mental health and their well-being right now? What are you talking about? Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's a continuation. I, I, I'm probably unique and I know um, I'm probably in the minority here, but before COVID, I had a very, I just had a dinner with someone actually and and I said, said my theory on like hours. I, I've never been a big person on 8.30 to 5.30, 9.30, 6.30. Obviously, if you work in education, you work in law, you work in Wall Street, there are certain things that beyond your control. There are hours you have to have. But for most of us, if you think about time, when you start, there's really no meaning to it, right? For me, I told my team before COVID, I'm like, guys, like, this is not a place where I'm checking when you're on Slack or when you're on email or if you're in the office when I see you. I, I genuinely do not care. If you're going to come in at 11 and leave at 8, come in at 11 and leave at 12, if you have stuff to do, it's about the outcomes. Not even about the output, right? It's about what the results are. Because I've seen people deliver a lot of output, but no outcomes. So um, that was something that I wanted to make sure we, even more so we continued through COVID, especially with new people we hired. And of course, the same went for being in the office FaceTime. It's the same deal, right? Like me seeing you every day doesn't mean you're producing great outcomes, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, I try to hold that even more so now. I'm like, guys, just because we're not in the office doesn't mean you still can't take a nap if you need to or play a video game or walk out your dog for an extended period of time or even have go have a beer at 3 p.m. with a friend. Like you'd probably do that in the office if you had a long week. Like this, this is no different. And I'd argue you need it even more so. And we all know the weekends feel like every other day where the laptop's in front of you, you're done with Netflix and you just jump on work because you can and it's there. Mm -hmm. At some point, you do need that 
break and you need that separation. So I've been actually trying to be as proactive, trying to lead by example with when I, even if I'm awake early, when I go on Slack for the first time, I sometimes I actually don't go on Slack till 10, 1030, even though I'm on, right? Really? Sometimes, um, yeah, because I want people to know, like, I want them to even think maybe I'm sleeping in. Sometimes I do, right? Sleep until 930. I mean, if I don't take my daughter in school, which is rare. Um, but I want them to have that freedom because it's one thing for me to say it, Maura, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's a very different thing for me to do it. Every week I have one-on-ones with all my direct reports, my executive team, there's about seven of them. And they'll tell you this. Every week I Slack them right before the meeting. I say, I say keep, cancel, or Slack. Um, and that's basically saying, do you want to keep the one-on-one? Cool. Do you want to Slack it? great or do you just want to cancel it and 80% of the time they cancel it and I tell them it's not that I don't want to meet with you this is your meeting your time you're in control you tell me what we need to talk about you're an executive team member like I trust you to address the agenda if there's anything urgent I'll come to you as needed but we don't need to keep this time and have this call just for the sake of like uh, insecurity that I might have that you're not doing work like I, I don't need that I hired you for a reason I love that keep so cancel or slack last question I love that I'm stealing that um so what happens six, eight months from now when maybe you're back in the office, right? So so you guys have an office, right? And I want you to open up your crystal ball here. And half the people are dying to come back in the office because mm-hmm. they're bored, they're lonely, they're sick mm-hmm. of their wife and kids, whatever. <laughs> and then the other half are like, no, I kind of like this. But they mm-hmm. feel perhaps anxiety that they're not in the office what what are leaders to do in this situation that's surely coming for a lot of organizations i i it's there's not going to be a, a sexy answer more i think you have to be oh redundant you just have to keep hitting the message like and i say this hey when you guys are ready to come back i for one cannot wait to your point to be in the office of one or two people if even if that's the case but 100 percent, no pressure your call it almost becomes like so ridiculous because i keep saying it but I have to, you know, like, because I, you know, I can lead by action and I, I'm, I'm going, to, I'm not going to the office five days a week. I never was anyway. Right. But I think in this case, I also have to be true to myself, right? This is an interesting balance of being a leader, but also like, Hey, I don't want to just not go in just to prove a point. So I just do it with my words. My guys, again, come in when you want. And, and I make sure no one chastises anyone. No one makes anyone feel bad. I don't even make jokes. I love making jokes all the time. I don't make jokes at all about it. Now I do say, there are times you have to make the decision. You're an adult, Maura. You're an adult, Jackson. You're an adult, Bill, making that name up. You figure out when you need to be in, if you're comfortable. Now, at the end of the day, if you're just not comfortable going out in public and, and being in, in New York right now, like, all good. I get that. Do do what you need to. But if you're comfortable, you just don't want to come in, um, that's fine. But then you have to decide if you're comfortable, but there's a time that you need to be in, then great. But if you're not there yet, that's all good. It's about communication, being clear with folks, and, and, and being okay with it. I think it's honestly opening up the dialogue more for them to say, I'm not comfortable yet. And that's okay. And it's okay for people, like you said, to say, I really need to get out of my house. I'm one of them. Like, I love my wife, my two daughters, right? They're in school right now. I need to be out of the house. I'm an extrovert. I, I'm i just driven by the energy of New York and the office. So uh, well, I want to be there. I'm an introvert, and it's, but it's been a long time. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yes. And everyone's different. Everyone's, everyone needs a choice. So I just give them a choice. And I make it super clear over and over and over again, even if it's ad nauseum to say, it's all good. You do you. Come in when you want. Don't come in when you want. Just communicate effectively so there's no expectations. Thanks to my producer, Mary Dew, and the HBR team. If you like our music, it's by Signal Sounds NYC. And if you have an idea or you want to ask me a question, tweet me at MoraAM, or you can send me a message on LinkedIn. From HBR Presents... This is The Anxious Achiever, and I'm Maura Aaron's Mealy.